Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the inaugural edition of This Is Our Effin' Podcast, a Red Sox show. I'm your co-host, Sean McAdam. Pleased to be joined by co-host Steve Lyons. Each week, we're going to take a look at what's going on with the Boston Red Sox, what's already taken place, what is coming up, review some events of the past week, look ahead a little bit, and have some fun talking about the 2021 Boston Red Sox season. We're a month into that season, Steve, and given that the Red Sox now occupy first place as we get into the first full week of May, uh, I'd say that that constitutes something of a surprise and a success some 29 games into the schedule. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, uh, a, a lot of people looked at the Red Sox this year as a team that would be middle of the pack. Um, you know, obviously, we haven't seen the Yankees play their best baseball. I don't think the Red Sox have played the best baseball teams out there right now. I think there's, uh, you know, obviously, um, when you're playing the teams that aren't the best in your division or even out of your division, you should be winning games, but you still have to go out there and do it. And so I think, yeah, I think that's absolutely a surprise that they're sitting at the top right now. Um, let's break down a few of the things that have gone right. And then in a bit, we'll talk about a few areas of the team that perhaps constitute some concern going forward. But I don't think there's any question that the most pleasant development and aspect of the team a month in is the work of the starting rotation, which was very much uh, a question mark coming out of spring training, particularly when you look back at the 2020 season, which was in a word, disastrous when it came to starting pitching. The Red Sox used 16 different starting pitchers last year, including many who, frankly, did not belong at the major league level out of desperation. Close. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, they went into that year without arguably their, uh, well, probably inarguably, their two best starting pitchers, both Chris Sale and Eduardo Rodriguez, gone for the season. Um, Rodriguez is back. Sale promises to be back sometime in the second half of the year. Um, but so far... Uh, just a, a, an incredible step forward by this starting staff. Their, uh, their ERA is well under four. Uh, you've got a nice bounce back season from Rodriguez so far. That was far from given after what he went through last year. You have Avaldi and Richards as two veteran guys with long injury histories so far pitching well. You've got Nick Pavetta, who has really blossomed um, after coming over in that trade from uh, the Philadelphia Phillies at the deadline and Martin Perez, who's been the least reliable of the five. And I think that sort of speaks to how much they've grown in a year, Steve, because at this point last year, Martin Perez was your number two starter. Now he's kind of your number five guy. And that's a measure of how much better the rotation is this year than it was a year ago. Yeah. And of course we wouldn't be true Red Sox fans if we didn't, uh, you know, talk about the surprise and then follow it up with some skepticism uh, <laughs> figuring, you know, what's going to happen. Because when you look at the guys that are performing really well right now, and, and I'll certainly throw Richards in that category after kind of a disastrous start, his last few starts have been outstanding and certainly given you what you, what you like, but it's the injury problems with these guys that I think could, you know, rear their ugly head at any point in time in the season. We're only a month in. And when you look at, you know, Pavetta's history, Richard's history with, with arm problems. Uh, Avaldi seems to get hurt every season. 
you know, and you already mentioned Sale and Erod that, you know, basically missed all of last season because of their injuries. So, you know, it's a surprise right now, but you're, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And that's, as I said, I wouldn't be a Red Sox fan if you weren't. <laughs> right. Um, we, we should also point out, bouncing back to uh, a more optimistic take here, is that should injuries or performance issues hit, that this roster is far better equipped to handle those than was the case a year ago. You've got Tanner Houck um, at the AAA alternate site. We should point out that the minor league season will get underway this week, finally, having been delayed a month at the start of the year. But they didn't have a Tanner Houck ready to step in at the beginning of last year. Now they do. They also have somebody like Matt Andrees, uh, sort of a veteran swingman in the bullpen who could step in for uh, a short period and give them some innings. And, and you've got some other arms in the minor league system that probably aren't too far away from contributing. So even in a worst case scenario, should they lose a veteran guy to injury here, they have some alternatives in-house that they didn't have a year ago. Yeah, with the way how pitched last year I think there was probably a lot of people that were surprised that they didn't give him a shot at that rotation this season but an excellent option in the minor leagues I mean last year was so painful I mean there were so many guys pitching but taking the ball as a starting pitcher in the major leagues that and you know it's hard for me to say this because I was you know ex-major league player and I wasn't you know a great player by any stretch of the imagination but they had guys run into the mound that had no business being in the big leagues I think they knew that you know Heim Bloom certainly knew that uh, what he had last year to work with was subpar. They didn't count on the in- amount of injuries that they had in their starting rotation. Nobody could. Everybody seemed like they were hurt. And, you know, Haim, I think, just went out there and, like, accepted anybody that was off of uh, the waiver wire, anybody that gotten released. And I'll tell you what, though, the funny thing is he did find some, some diamonds in the rough there. He picked up some players that are still contributing for this team that nobody thought too much of them. Well, and chief among them, um, and we'll get to some other bullpen issues, is Garrett Whitlock, a Rule 5 kid plucked out of the New York Yankees system, which to some Red Sox fans makes it even sweeter. Uh, It's nice to find a kid for $100,000 in the Rule 5 draft. If you're a Red Sox fan, it's even better when that comes at the expense of the New York Yankees and you take a potentially good pitching prospect away from them and add it to your roster. Um, so that's one more example of Bloom doing some uh, dumpster diving and taking a look at some bargains and improving the overall depth. To, to your point about some of the guys, I'm going to read a list of names of starters from a year ago, most of whom are no longer in the organization. All of don't whom. Don't put us through the. Don't put us through the pain. <laughs> all of whom got multiple starting opportunities last year with the Red Sox, Chris Mazza, who is now uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays, Zach Godley, who turned up starting a game for the Milwaukee Brewers over the weekend together. I mean, in some of these, to be fair, were opener assignments, but together, Chris Mazza and Zach Godley started 13 of the 60 games last year. Wow. That's almost a quarter of the schedule in which you had games started by either Chris Mazza or Zach Godley. Uh, Ryan Weber uh, started five games. Um, Ryan Brazier and Austin Bryce as openers started. Colton Brewer as an opener. Um, who else do we have here? Joss Osich, a lefty specialist, 
started a game last year. You had Mike Kickham, who is now with the Dodgers, currently added to their roster over the weekend. Kyle Hart, uh, on and on. Andrew Triggs. There were just so many guys who were... Triggs sighting. (laughs) Just... You know, journeyman guys at best, 4A guys in in reality, who were taking the ball. I, I can remember covering this team a year ago, and there were times when Ron Renicky literally did not know at the start of one game who would be his starting pitcher the next day. It was this, you know, any port in a storm, anybody with a pulse was going to get an opportunity to take the mound. And you look at now a rotation that out of the first 29 games, you've got starters going five innings or more 23 times, which is tied for the best record, uh, you know, the most of those in the American League with the Oakland A's, a measure of how far they've come in a year. Well, I love the fact that that's happening, that they're getting a little bit deeper into games, but it wasn't all that long ago when we would talk about a five and dive pitcher as a guy who was like, hey, you got to you got to get deeper. You got to go seven. That's you that, know, that was just, a back end guy giving you five innings. You yeah. maybe you wanted that from your number five guy, not your number one or number two. You certainly don't talk about that anymore. I mean, five innings is 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 kind of the lightning rod as far as how far you need to get into a game. But there's no question that if you don't have multiple options and different ways to use your bullpen, those guys will get burned out too because they're going a lot more innings than than you did ten years ago. You, you know, uh, they're they're being relied on every day in in game-winning situations and we saw it you know over the weekend really with the Red Sox and the Texas Rangers games that they should have won um, that were really kind of lost after the starting pitcher was out of the game. Yeah a couple of bullpen slip-ups didn't help Uh, on Sunday um, Adam Ottavino who had had six pretty good appearances in a row during which he gave up only one run kind of reverted back to some of his early season struggles and if there's kind of a, fra- a, a flashing red light of warning on that bullpen, I think it right now might be the eighth inning spot uh, because Ottavino has been up and down, some good, some bad. Uh, one particular troubling number for Ottavino is that in 11 appearances, he has allowed the first hitter to reach base five times. Uh, you know, you can get away with that if you're a long guy or if you're coming in in the fifth or sixth inning. When you're there as a high leverage guy in the eighth inning and you're putting the first batter on base almost half the time, you're asking for trouble. And that's what they got on Sunday in Arlington. Yeah. And he talked about that, too. He understands that that can't happen. He basically said, look, I walked the first guy and that's the game, you know, and and, and he's right. Um, it, to a certain extent, he's right. You know, you can't bear down and get three guys out before that guy scores, but you're certainly putting yourself into a difficult position and changing the, the dynamic of why you're on the mound. You're supposed to come in and blow three guys away. And, and not worry about base runners. And then on top of which, you, you know, I, who was it? Dahl got the hit. I mean, that's like giving up a hit to Steve Lyons in that situation. You know, I think Dahl was like one for 20 or one for worse than that. Yeah, hitting below 200 at the time, I know. Yeah, you know, that's a guy you've got to come in and blow away and kind of just left one out over the middle of the plate and it got hit. And 
uh, you know, and then things went even further south. Then and you have Brock Holt have he comes in and drives in runs. Uh, you know, there's a certain number of Red Sox fans that were happy, happy to see that. Yeah, uh, one of the more popular Red Sox players over the last seven or eight years, certainly. I know a lot of Red Sox fans were unhappy that he wasn't retained after 2019, kind of bounced around a little bit last year between Milwaukee and Washington. But um, back home, a, a Fort Worth native and a guy playing in the Metroplex area and getting an opportunity at third base for the Rangers. So good for him. Um Back to the bullpen a little bit. If Ottavino's uh, work has been a little alarming, uh, on the flip side, it's been encouraging what they've gotten out of Darwin's and Hernandez uh, in the last little bit. His last three outings, uh, he has struck out the side once, struck out three in another appearance in which he allowed an, uh, uh, an infield hit, and then yesterday had on Sunday had two more strikeouts. So of his last nine outs, eight have been strikeouts. That's nice. But what's most encouraging is you see improved command with him. Uh, we know that he's got elite stuff with a fastball, 95, 96, sometimes up to 97, but he's able to command it better. He's got that slider that can be a wipeout pitch. And if he could develop into a real high leverage option, uh, to help get them to Barnes. That's one more weapon that Alex Cora gets to use. If Ottavino drops off or Ottavino has been used a couple of times in a row and needs a day to have uh, a lefty throwing 95 plus and throwing it for strikes uh, is a nice weapon for the Sox to have in that spot. I don't think there's any question that that's where he's headed. I, I think he, you know, sooner rather than later ends up being your, your eighth inning guy in the bridge to Barnes because his stuff plays that way. And, and his biggest problem is being able to throw strikes. We all know that he could just blow it by you. He's got that kind of stuff. He's throwing more breaking balls. He's getting more confidence in the breaking ball. And even he says, look, I, I throw 97 miles an hour, but if everyone's sitting on my fastball, they're going to get me eventually. So I have to have something to keep them off balance. He's throwing that for a strike now. He's an exciting guy to watch when he takes the mound. He's the guy, you know, I mean, he's a closer in waiting as long as he can throw the ball over the plate. And they talk about how young he is, and that's true in, like, dog years. But at the same time, he's been around now for a couple of years. He's, he's got his feet wet. He's been in the big leagues. You know, he, he made the, the transition from starter to a guy at the back end. And so, you know, it's time to let him run, I think. And, and if there is any slip up by Ottavino, then I think you're going to you may see them flip flop their their responsibilities, uh, because there's no question that this is a team um, when they're not hitting the ball out of the ballpark or when they're not manufacturing runs and scoring enough runs, you can't be blowing games in your bullpen. Yeah. And you mentioned the offense. So let's transition to that a little bit. Uh, it is a, uh, a tale of two cities when it comes to that Red Sox lineup. The top five are producing for the most part, although they haven't gotten much on base out of Kike Hernandez in the leadoff spot. And that's got to be a little bit of a concern. His on base percentage is about 265. That's nowhere near what you want from the top spot, but they can be patient there at least for a little bit. The real problem in my mind, and this was something that I thought could be an issue and it's turned out to be for the first month, is that they have bunched together a lot of swing and miss guys at the bottom of that lineup. Franchi Cordero in left, Bobby Dahl back at first, and Hunter Renfro in right. Given uh, a full season, 
for all three of those guys, you're talking about guys that could all have north of 150 strikeouts. And when you've got them slumping together, as they all are, every one of them is under 200. I took a look this morning, Steve, at the seven, eight, and nine lineup spots in the Red Sox batting order. They have combined to hit 184, and that's bad enough if they were hitting the ball out of the ballpark every once in a while so that, okay, you put up with the strikeouts knowing they're going to run into a few and hit the occasional two or three run homer and give you some pop from the bottom, but they've combined to hit three home runs. Cordero still doesn't have one. Dahlbeck has one. Renfro hit, has two, having hit one over the weekend in Arlington. But 184 and three homers with a boatload of strikeouts at the bottom has turned the bottom of that lineup into a black hole. Yeah, and you can't have that. I mean, you look at back at the 18 team, and the, the one of their greatest attributes is that they turned the lineup over. Those back half guys, you know, when Bradley would catch fire and different guys in the back half, all of a sudden, even, even you know, uh, guys you wouldn't expect would work a walk. They'd find a way to get on and flip the lineup over to the guys that were crushing. And at that point, it was a guy like Mookie Betts leading off. So well, he's the guy coming up with guys on base. You have to have that. You can't have, uh, you know, a, a a pitcher looking at the back half of a Red Sox order and saying, Hey, I can waltz right through these guys. I mean, obviously Renfro is a guy who's really not used to hitting in the back half of the order. He's probably, you know, hasn't played well and not hitting the ball out of the park, but he's used to being a semi middle of the order guy. Uh, Dahlbeck is a guy right now who's, you know, looks like he's starting to get his timing back, but he really wasn't able to get his front foot down. He's, he's been late on pitches. Uh, and, and this is a guy we know has massive power, but will strike out. There's no question. He's going to be, he's going to continue to be a heavy strikeout guy. And who knew what we were going to get out of Cordero? I mean, this is just a guy that, you know, thought, Hey, the upside with him pretty good, but you know, he can, he can run himself out of a job if he continues the way he's playing now. Well, and I think he's probably not too far from getting to that point, because as we pointed out, the minor league season, including uh, the new Worcester Red Sox franchise, is getting ready to play its first game in its history this week. And Cordero, critically, does have options remaining, despite the fact that this guy's almost 26 years old. Uh, he does have remaining options. The question is, if you were to option him out, what do you do with that spot? Do you bring Michael Chavis back? Uh, and have him as a, a, a right-handed bat. Uh, my thinking is, take a look at Jaron Duran at this point. I know that he still has more development left. I know he's probably not ready to take over as the everyday center fielder, but I thought it was um, important and telling that there were reports of uh, Duran getting some time in left field at the alternate training site in Worcester. Uh, that almost screams that the Red Sox are thinking about flip-flopping Cordero and Duran and seeing what they get out of the younger guy. And, and it would be fun to see because, you know, with that lineup and, and, and the fact that they could hide him in the back half of the lineup and no one's doing anything down there anyway, you wouldn't put a whole lot of pressure on him to come up and be ultra productive. I mean, right. Stick him in the bottom third. Don't put any pressure on him. You know, eventually he's going to be a leadoff type guy, you know, a, a Jacoby Ellsbury type player uh, with some extra base power that has come along in the last year or so. Great speed, uh, the, the potential at least to be a plus defender in the outfield. But as you do often with young players, put him at the bottom of the lineup so that there's not a lot of pressure on him. Let him do his thing, get his feet wet, as you mentioned, and, and see what you have there. 
Yeah, I'm not I'm not opposed to that at all. I mean, a lot of people will say, well, you know, is he ready? Are they going to put him in a situation where where, uh, you know, uh, if, if he doesn't have immediate success, are you going to hurt his development? I, you know, I know that you can't just drag a kid up from the minor leagues because he's had a few good seasons and say, hey, go get him. But this kid's been showing signs. He's been doing it. Now, my problem, I guess, would be uh, the fact that, you know, live at bats and, you know, where has he been getting those? I mean, you're down at the alternate training site. They're playing those games down there. There's not a lot of adrenaline going on down there. Sure. There's not, you know, that's those that's extended spring training on, on at bats that don't mean a darn thing to you. And uh, then coming up and throwing them in into a big league lineup without really having played yet. So, you know, I wouldn't, I, I would not be surprised to see him get 10 games of experience down there in Worcester playing some games and then see him up in a Red Sox uniform if, stuff, if, if things don't change in the back half. Yeah, they give Cordero maybe another week or so to find himself and break out. He at least um, moved a little bit forward this weekend and that he was making contact, which for the longest time he was not. He had struck out in more than half his plate appearances. Uh, I wouldn't say that he was exactly mashing the ball, but he was at least putting it in play. Maybe that's a sign that he's starting to figure some things out. All right, Steve, as uh, as you know, one of the things that we'd like to do, and uh, this is a primarily uh, by its title, a Red Sox-centric podcast, but we want to zoom out a little bit and take a look at uh, Major League Baseball uh, from a – larger perspective, take a look around the game, some of the things going on. One of the things I thought we'd hit on this week, Steve, is the phenomenon that uh, is happening about 30 miles down the road from where you are, and that's Shohei Otani and what he's been able to do. Healthy now, back from Tommy John, completely recovered, and uh, just a phenomenal success as a two-position player. And when I say two-position, I don't mean left center, left field and center field. I mean hitting and then occasionally starting for uh, the Los Angeles Angels of uh, it, uh, in the American League. How about these numbers? He's got a 917 OPS. He's on pace for about 40 home runs this year uh, as a hitter. And then in three starts, he's got a 3.29 ERA. Uh, whether it's the fact that that franchise exists in Anaheim and doesn't maybe get some of the attention that he might in up the freeway in L.A. or in Boston or New York. I, I think, if anything, Otani's feats are being unre uh, you know, under-recognized and appreciated so far. I think absolutely. Now, you know, I go back to my younger days and wonder why pitchers couldn't hit. I mean, we all grew up where your, your best pitcher was your shortstop when he wasn't pitching. You know, the greatest athletes were both of those guys. And then for some reason in baseball, they just decided to tell the pitchers, just, just worry about your pitching. Don't worry about anything else. And that's why, you, you know, the, 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 it was a dinosaur. The, the guy who was able to do both just died away. So I think it's really exciting that he's doing what he was doing. There was a period of time here not too long ago where he's leading baseball in home runs. And then going out and taking a ball, you know, he had, he had thrown one pitch 100 miles an hour, and then the bottom half of the inning hit a 450-foot home run. Uh, to me, uh, the guy's a, a superb athlete, tremendous. I mean, you talked about the 40 home runs. He's also on pace to steal about 35 bases, too. And he's, he's not a tiny little, you know, speed burner. He's a, he's a big guy with a lot of speed, a lot of assets. You know, the thing that I noticed, I got a chance to see one of his starts, he doesn't throw a lot of strikes and he's got to, he's going to have to do a little bit better at that. He's got a great split finger that everybody swings at. It's never a strike. And then he really struggled with his command of his fastball too. And he's rushing that up there 
you know, upper nineties to hundred miles an hour. Yeah. And, and not a ton of strikeouts, right. Not being very efficient. That's been one of the issues on that Sunday night game uh, that you referenced. He was up to 80 or 90 pitches by the time the fourth inning rolled around and he's not taking the angels very deep into those games. If they can get him into the strike zone more and get him to be a little bit more efficient with quicker outs uh, again, I, I think you have to limit your expectations somewhat from him on the pitching side because it is, you know, what he's doing is physically demanding to be available to start at least once a week. They, they try not to have him every fifth day. Often it's every six or seven. They work the rotation around him. And I think they're being careful given that he's just a couple of years removed from Tommy John. So they're managing his innings. As you can understand, he's an important asset, but Boy, if he could ever figure out how to, you know, get ahead more, shorten up some of those at bats and give them, you know, six plus innings rather than three and two thirds or four and a third, that would really knock some people out to, to have him be that two way weapon. Yeah. And, and the other decision that has to be made every time he takes the mound is whether or not you let him hit. Right. And of course, Joe Madden did that. And uh, I, I think everybody understands that when you do that, you lose your DH. So if he's only going four and two thirds and he's out of there, now you have to really mix and match. You're not going to let another pitcher hit, but the pitcher comes into that spot, but he's in the number two spot in the order. So now you're pinch hitting every time for that pitcher spot right. that comes up. And it, you know, it puts a little crink in your, in, in your offensive plans uh, when he's well, you know, probably your third best hitter in the lineup and your best pitcher on that day. So I'm not sure how that worked out for Joe Man. I wouldn't be surprised to see that, you know, if he pitches again, that they actually use a DH and just let him pitch that day. Yeah, focus on that for the one day out of six or seven and figure that you're going to get his bat in the lineup as the DH the rest of the week. Um, in your playing career or in your post-playing career, who else do you think uh, that what we're watching is unprecedented from Otani, but who else could have done what he's doing. In other words, either a pitcher who was good enough to hit regularly or a pretty good hitter who could have been used to at least pitch occasionally. Well, I think my answer is going to be surprising. I'll give you an obscure name and then one name that everybody knows. My first one would be Joaquin Gutierrez, Jackie Gutierrez. He was the shortstop for the Red Sox early, early 80s, uh, mid 80s. People, people remember him for his whistling as much as anything whistling and uh he was a superb athlete he had the he might have had the best arm i've ever seen uh i watched him you know throw a ball from home plate over the wall and and you know in kansas city you know up against the, the, the water fountains they had out there yeah. just a, a crazy ridiculous strong arm and so i really think he could have done it and the other reference i have is wade boggs wade boggs had an unbelievable knuckleball and nobody would play catch with him, including me because he'd only throw one ball. And then his next ball to you would be a knuckleball and it would hit you in the kneecap and you'd be hurting and you'd be swearing at him, but he could have easily walked up there and just flipped knuckleballs up there and been a successful pitcher on any given day. Yeah. And I think there were a lot of guys, not a lot of guys, but some guys who were capable of doing that. Um, but you know, going back 20, 30 years, even 10 or 15 years, you didn't see a lot of position guys get a chance to pitch in games. It was something that happened maybe once a year. And it was like, whoa, you know, they've yeah. run out of pitchers. <laughs> I got five times? innings in the big leagues, all it, in blowouts, how, you know? How many times did, how many different times did you pitch? Was it an inning each five times or did you ever get a multi-inning assignment? 
I did pitch two innings one time. I actually pitched two innings in the minor leagues and got a win. Uh, I pitched two innings against uh, Oakland one time, and, and that was the time I gave up a run. I gave up one run in my outings, uh, and I walked it. Derwood Merrill was behind the plate. He was squeezing <laughs> me. I'm like, Derwood, we're getting beat by 12 runs here. Call a strike. And I, I actually walked in a, the run, the only run I gave up. Um, I think I kept Jamie Quirk in the big leagues because – in my pitching outings, he actually got two hits off of me. Um, but I, I got a bunch of strikeouts. I got guys out. I was serious about it. You know, I had pretty good stuff and it was a ton of fun. Yeah. You can always, I mean, we saw, uh, last week, the, the at bat in which Anthony Rizzo struck out Freddie Freeman, you know, two all-star guys, these are not end of the bench guys, uh, you know, being sacrificed, out there for an inning or so uh, Rizzo, you know, an all-star for a spaceman Freeman, the MVP of the national league. And I think fans got a kick out of how much you could tell how much fun each of them uh, was having in that situation. Rizzo gets to strike him out and he gets the last laugh. Um, you know, it, it used to be this, uh, I think this is maybe that old school baseball sensibility where people thought, oh, having a position player is making a mockery of the game on the mound. Now when it happens, I think people lighten up and kind of enjoy it and watch it unfold. Yeah, that was the, the attitude of baseball too, the integrity of the game. You can't just be up there, you know, you know, making light of, of what the game is all about. I mean, I, I think that's why, obviously, when I took them out, I was serious about it. I was going to try to get guys out. I wasn't just going to throw it up there and let them hit it. It's a huge risk for a manager. I think we all remember, uh, you know, I mean, what if Rizzo, you know, blew out his arm throwing that breaking ball to uh, uh, Canseco, right? Canseco with Kevin Kennedy put Canseco in there and, and he hurt himself. That's, that's a risk that most people aren't willing to take. And, you know, for me, I'm a utility guy sitting at the end of the bench. Actually, one of the days I fished, I was playing center field. So I came in with eye black on and everything. Cause I had already been playing the whole game and then ended up, you know, pitching the ninth. I think I struck out Chuck Knobloch in that game. And, and he only struck out 42 times the whole year that year. <laughs> Maybe you gave him the throwing yips, you know, he had, <laughs> yeah. he had so much trouble hitting you that he took it into the field from there on. Hey, you, you don't have success against me. Your career is heading <laughs> in a downward time to start, spiral. Time to start questioning your career choice. All right, <laughs> Steve, we're going to headed your way. We're going to wind down episode one here of this is our effing podcast, a Red Sox show. We ask that you uh, rate and review the show let your friends who are Red Sox fans know about its existence. Uh, over time, we hope to add some guests here to help liven it up, but we're just getting going and we can use your help and your word of mouth and your rating, whether you're watching on Spotify or on iTunes or listening on Spotify or iTunes. Um, let us know that you like the show. Tell your friends about it. We'll be back next week and look forward to episode number two. Steve, Enjoyed the first one. Many more down the road to come. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds great. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.